I'm Jason Dees, and you're listening to The Week. The Week is a weekly podcast with the purpose of helping you apply the gospel to your everyday life. If you have questions for The Week, or if you would like for us to talk about anything specifically on The Week, I invite you to text us at 678-951-9041. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. Well, it's been another busy and complicated and interesting week. We, of course, celebrated Easter over the weekend uh, in a way that I've never uh, celebrated Easter before. Uh, I'm joined today to talk about our week with uh, two of my best friends, Josh Youssef, who is uh, who all you guys know. I mean, he's he's our most regular guy on the week. And then... Uh, uh, one of my very best friends, uh, uh, a man by the name of Ben Dockery. Ben is one of the pastors at Christ Church in the kind of northern Chicago suburban area. Um, he also uh, works adjunctly uh, at Trinity Evangelical, and uh, he and I were at seminary together at Southern and have been really best friends ever since. But uh, thanks so much, guys, for coming on this week for joining us um before we get to kind of our reflections on the week how how was your easter doc i'll, I'll start with you how how was how was easter yes i mean certainly um thanks for letting me be a part of this this is fun um easter was unusual as you said um i mean we we ended up pre-recording our service because we have a saturday night service so we had to get everything ready we tried to get uh we use our orchestra so throughout the week we were recording you know, 25, 30 different musicians to the same click track and trying to get all those things tied up wow. so we could sync it and send it out. And so it ended up working, but it was a ton of work on the editing video team. They did a great job. Um, and we had, you know, we had a large attendance. You don't exactly know. We're using a multiplier of 1.7 per unique viewer online as our guests for who actually attends. Um, but we had something we did awesome was our senior pastor did a, hey, if you're interested in finding more about Jesus tonight at seven o'clock, I'm going to do this. 45 minute follow-up Q and a, we had 32 people sign up. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So yeah, we never kind of see things like that. We tried something creative and, uh, yeah, normal Easter. We'd never would have done that. Right. That's really cool. That's really cool. Did you, um, did you get your kids dressed up in Easter outfits? We did. We just went ahead and kind of delayed, did a slow brunch, went to quote the 11 o'clock service, put on a tie, Julie put on, Easter clothes, kids got up. Yeah, just for the fun of it. That's awesome. That's awesome. How about y'all, Josh? How was Easter? Well, yeah, but that was our our first, uh, you know, sunrise service over Zoom uh, with Christ Covenant, and uh, that was that was unique. And then we tried to, you know, we tried to keep things somewhat status quo for the kids. We did a little Easter egg hunt and um, did our online church service, and we cooked lamb for uh, a few neighbors and for ourselves and. Uh, and of course, Em dressed up the kids in a, their little outfits for the Easter photo. It's good. That's awesome, man. Well, Doc, how, how, so I know we, we've all been kind of processing a lot that's going on in our week. You know, how how was your week? What are some what are some things you're thinking through? Yeah, um, I mean, last week turned the corner a little bit, just in terms of shifting from the uh, fairly chaotic is not the right word, but certainly. Um, frenetic activity to try to just reboot the church and become a virtual online, you know, 
ministry platform plus almost disaster relief organization are gearing up to do some of that type of work. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was good. I had a, our senior pastor used an analogy that got stuck in my head of what reopening the church could look like. And he talked about his friend who's a lifeguard on the beach. Um, and when a shark comes to the water and everybody gets out, there's this period of reentry. And so he used kind of the bell curve language of, you know, you get 10, 15% of the people that jump in the water pretty quickly after they give the all clear. But then there's a huge group of people just sitting there to see whether, you know, what happens to those people who get in. Does the shark come back? Does somebody get eaten? Is there a bite? Whatever. And then those people slowly get back in. And then you've got a group that late adopt and then some that just never get back in. So when he used that, it, um, it got stuck in my head and I thought, man, I'm going to, I'm going to like write an article on this. And, uh, so I stayed up one night late and, um, and, and try to put that on, on paper. So, uh, that was, that was a, that was a key theme. Something I don't usually do is, is write like that and, and got a chance to do that last week, which is a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's great, man. What, what, uh, so, I mean, as you look through that analogy, you know, kind of help us, uh, I don't know, what is that? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you do you kind of think those data figures are pretty going to be pretty consistent with the church? What does that look like in the church, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if it is the predictive model for you know reentry. I, I certainly was trying to work it through my own head because whether it's me listening to Mark Cuban talk about people coming back in the Dallas Mavericks or you know what the Surgeon General's forecast all those things are there but i think one of the things that was interesting for me in, in writing it is just um sitting down to write that last week was uh, i know what one of the things you do on this is think through from a gospel lens is and so i just i got uh, i was it was very clear to me i'm trying to create something right as a image bearer god representative on the earth i was participating in the creation process and then quickly in that i, I realized some of the uh yeah, sin tendencies in my own heart of like fear of people actually reading it. Well, how would they respond? Um, the tendency to maybe sound more sophisticated in, you know, I was, what's a synonym for this word. So it would sound like it was a yeah. better article or, you know, that kind of whole stuff that showed up. And I was like, man, it's crazy how some of that's for good writers. Some of that for me, though, was just wanting to people to think I'm smart. Um, that was there, but then God meeting me in that place and feeling a sense of, the redemption side of things coming in. So, um, yeah, that's right. Identity issues showed up. So, I mean, it was a good exercise for me, um, to re even to reflect on that last week's on this go. Okay. Yeah. A lot of the gospel story is, is just clear in this one snippet in my own life, um, that I found helpful. So we actually talked a lot about identity on Sunday and just, you know, how, how there there is a sense of because we all feel the effects of our own sin because we all feel that the world is not as it is supposed to be um our kind of attempts to get back into the garden if you will our attempts to get make ourselves right with god and yeah it's it's funny even the things that we do supposedly in service of christ our redeemer the ones that that has gotten us back into the garden the one that has brought us before the presence of god we still can, even in those, even in, even our service of him, we can still try to prove ourselves and redeem ourselves and, and show ourselves to be interesting and important. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's exactly it, man. That's, that nails it. That's what I was yeah, doing. And I think that like the, 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 the very convicting thing about that, obviously 
um, is that, you know, as a pastor, um, I mean, I, I deal with exactly what you're saying all the time. Maybe not as, uh, I mean, subconsciously, at least I know I do. Are people going to like this? Did people appreciate this? And the thing is, I can't quit doing that. You know, as much as I want my efforts to be pure, that they're always shrouded with this kind of old man, self-justifying thing. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've been, I've actually been encouraged by like, there's this old famous Martin Luther story. Uh, and I'm sure both of y'all have heard me mention it, or I'm sure both of y'all know this, but you know, his friend Philip Melanchthon was, he was always questioning his motives. I mean, the same kind of thing that we're, he was this nervous guy. Melanchthon was, he was brilliant, but he, he just, he, he was fearful. And obviously Luther wasn't fearful. Luther was, you know, bold. And, and so he, uh, one day Melanchthon was saying like, well, I don't know if I did this out of a motive of sin or self-righteousness. And Luther just said, Philip, like, you just got to sin boldly, you know, like you got to act and, you're going to sin, but, but sin boldly act boldly. But then he said, but trust in the grace and mercy of Christ more boldly still. And so, you know, even in my most saintly prayer, it is colored with a little bit of sin. Um, and so even in my, even in my most righteous thing, I actually have to trust boldly in the grace and mercy of Christ that he gives us on the cross. But yeah, that's a, that's a great thing to think about. Um, Josh, that's interesting. I didn't. I didn't know the context of that Martin Luther quote. Oh yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. It's, and it, it gets taken out of context, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 about this very thing that we're talking about. It's not about like go out and do something. <laughs> you know, people say sin boldly all the time, but they don't know what they're saying. Yeah, that's not yeah. What, Luther wasn't. And just, yeah, yeah, you know me well enough to know I've got a, a lot of Melanchthon. Oh man, you are like I mean, Philip like Melanchthon, man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you're intentionally applying this application to me right now, but uh, yeah, it landed. It landed. Well, you need nice some Luther pastor. friends around you. I, I remember, yeah, I remember, Luther. like our early days of, uh, uh, like I was 22. I mean, Doc was like way more advanced, knew way more theology, knew his Bible better, was much more godly than I was, and I got asked to be the preacher of this new Washington Christian Church, and I was like, great. And I just went out there and just started preaching even though I'm sure they were horrible sermons. And then I asked Doc to preach for me one time, and, and you, same kind of thing. You're like, what if I say something wrong? What if I say something wrong? I was like, these people don't care. Like, they're, <laughs> they're little country folks. Like, they, you know, they just want somebody to go out there and love on them and point them to Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, we, I feel like we've had this conversation before. So, anyway. Well, how about you? How about you uh, mi- mislead boldly, <laughs> I guess is what I should have said there. But but trust in the in the truthfulness of Christ more boldly still. Um, how about you, Josh? What uh, tell me about your week, man? What's what's something that you've been thinking about? You know, the majority of my time is spent kind of in the donor development world. I spend probably fifty percent of my time on that. And you know, when when this uh, crisis occurred, you know, the second maybe second and third week of March, there was a total just kind of people froze for a period of time. Well, and it was your biggest, the the timing was interesting because like the week that it hit was, was your week. Yeah. Big weekend in Washington, DC. We had pastor Brunson coming. We had, you know, guests and international people from all over the world. And all of a sudden it was like, we had to cancel this big fundraiser. And, you know, Mm -hmm. thankfully the intercontinental hotel gave us 
100% of our money back. We were able to kind of recoup some costs and, and we, we got out of it um, really well. But, you know, my board, we had a board call and they said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, in my previous life, when we were doing fundraising, uh, recessions were great. Um, they were, they ended up, uh, philanthropy goes up during recessions. People start giving actually more intently. Um, and I think I, there's a whole theory, I guess, of why generosity increases during that time. But I think people are, they're made aware as their situation changes for the, for the, for the negative, they're aware of other people's situations and they become more charitable in their giving. And so we're starting now to see some of the best uh, responses, financial responses that we've, we've ever seen. Uh, it was obviously this, this organization that helped persecute is kind of small. It's kind of you know, short lived right now with two years, but still it's, it's some of the best giving we've ever seen. And I, I'm convinced it's that people are at home aware of their situation and now aware of other people's situations. And, uh, they're maybe, I think they're spending less on themselves too. So they have more to give. So this is, this is an exciting time, I think, for people to be made aware of, of, you know, what other people, how other people have suffered or are suffering. Um, we led last week, we led your, your Tuesday night group with the kind of the singles. Yeah. I don't know if that's what they call them. But it, it, and one of the things I decided to do, I decided, decided to piggyback on your John 15 abiding. What does abiding look like in the age of coronavirus sort of Zoom calls? And I brought on one of our field team staff from, from the Middle East, and he was saying, this is normal. Like the persecuted church has always abided in Christ through digital communications, through Pal Talk and WhatsApp and Zoom. And he said one time he went to a church in Morocco. And he walked into the home church, and all it was was a camera with a screen, and it was it was projecting out to about a, you know, a dozen or two dozen converts who were throughout the whole country watching on their phones. They couldn't wow. actually physically come to that location because they could get for fear of getting caught. And so that's how they have been discipled. That's how they've been. That's how they worship. So for us, it's new, but for for the persecuted church, it's it's a normal reality. Yeah, it's a, that's fascinating. Yeah, I, one of the things we were saying um, right before the call, we were talking about what you were just saying about the increased generosity, and and I think it is, um, it's it's a greater awareness of it's a greater gratitude. I think that happens. Um, I think it's a greater awareness of what you do have. I mean, if you if you still have a job and you're doing pretty well, and you look around and there's a other guy that doesn't have a job, like you're grateful to God that you have a job and that God is providing for you. Um, and I think that sometimes, as you say, recessions or these downturns, it gets us less self-focused when we actually see, um, you know, to use a word from the sermon yesterday, the plight of man around us. Now, here's the deal, though. I mean, I think this is the thing that should continue to encourage us after this is the the plight of man doesn't change. I mean, man's greatest problem is not the coronavirus, and so his his problem doesn't change uh, when this thing goes away. I mean, our, our our greatest need is the gospel. Our greatest problem is our own sinfulness. Our greatest issue, facing issue right now, is that one day we'll face God, and uh, that we'll face Him in our sin, um, without some sort of interference, without some sort of grace, without some sort of righteousness that can stand in our way. And of course, that's that's the hope of this gospel that we have. And so. Yeah, I mean, if you are, if you do give to help the persecuted, I just encourage you with that. Like the, um, 
the persecuted church, like he said, has been dealing with this a long time. The 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 hope of um or the gospel need that's out there it doesn't get greater or less because of the coronavirus. There's some physical needs that are greater or less, um, but our spiritual need is is consistent. So, yeah, yeah, I really resonate with the uh, increased gratitude, not just personally. I mean, yeah, never been more thankful, at least in recent years, to have a job, and um, at least you know right now, um, all that is, all that's good. So, I mean, I think increased gratitude makes a lot of sense. Josh, I'd be curious. I mean, have you guys? had to ramp up your messaging or make a different ask. I mean, has that been part of, they've heard from you more during this time. I know a lot of people are over communicating and that's a response to that. Or you just think that um, right now people's hearts have been moved to recognize some of those needs in a new way. Well, the first, first two weeks we decided not to kind of do any kind of heavy asks kind of mid was that mid March through towards the end. And then we started to kind of uh, ramp it up a little bit going into April. We felt like, Okay, some of the shock has worn off. Um, this thing may not be quite as bad as I think people were initially thinking in terms of the economic impact. And so we started kind of steadily putting in some asks. And we, we always kind of mix it up. Like we'll do an ask and then we'll do like a kind of a just a more uh, meaty kind of here's some information and kind of not be so crisis. Crisis appeals are, are tough because you only get a couple of shots at that. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Well, guys, my kind of thought this week, John Kellis uh, is turning six this week. And um, I, I, I'm i just realizing, like, I mean, it literally feels like yesterday that he was being born. Um, it doesn't feel that long ago at all. I can't believe it's six years ago. And yeah, it's hard to believe you got a six-year-old. I know, I got an eight-year-old too. How, how how old is uh um Abigail? She's eleven now. Golly. Crazy, same thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, so you know, my oldest is eight, my son is six, um, and so it, yeah, it's just it's obviously it's going fast. You know, it's it's going really fast, and there's so much that I want to teach John Kellis. I mean, he's my oldest boy, um, and there's so much I want to tell him about God. You know, I I. We do family devotionals, but, you know, and he certainly understands like some basic truths, but I mean, there's all these things that I'm thinking about, you know, that really he's, you know, to, to use kind of Paul's expression in Ephesians three, like, I pray that he would have the strength to comprehend these things. I pray that he would have the, the mental ascent capacity, you know, spiritual heart to comprehend how great. God really is and how how powerful the resurrection really is. And so I guess what I'm trying to do is just think through okay, how, how do I how do I in his current moment knowing that he's going to grow, that he's his capacities are going to increase. How do, how do I take advantage of these times and begin showing him begin teaching him what I need to teach him now and and uh, and showing him what I need to show him now. And so anyway, that's just what's been on my mind um the burden of being a father. Um, obviously as a pastor, I'm always trying to think, how do I tend this flock? Well, and, um, you know, as a father, I'm trying to think, okay, well, I need to put the same kind of energy into tending this flock. Um, and, and how do I do that? Well, and how do I do that? How do I meet these children, you know, along their way? And so, um, I don't know if I have a lot of answers to that. I mean, you guys, I think you're 
are better dads than I am, more along the way than I am. But uh, uh, it's definitely been something that I've been thinking through heavily this week. So you, I'd be curious, can you remember back when you were six? I mean, you've got a great memory. Can you remember yeah. uh, times when you were watching Big John faster at that age? I mean, John Kellis is kind of getting to see the same thing in terms of son watching a father pastor do you have any memories from age six that- yeah that's that's good I mean I do you know my dad was on staff at a church until I was actually in sixth grade and so you know a lot of my memories then are you know of just being with them in the service um you know and the, you know to be honest like I kind of get where John Kellis is because I remember the, my biggest memories are kind of of not knowing what the preacher was saying and of drawing, <laughs> of drawing pictures, you know, and, and it all kind of being over my head. Um, now, I mean, I think the things that I think left an impression on me were how much that church loved me, how much I knew my dad loved me. It wasn't so much the truth that I was, um, learning. It was the trust that I think the church was gaining in my heart. I mean, trusted the church because I, because I love the church because the church really loved me. And so I don't know, Josh, your dad's a pastor. I mean, what, I mean, what are your like six year old memories? What do you have any of those? It's funny. Emily and I are always talking about, okay, what was your earliest memory? You know, it four, you know, four to eight is kind of, it's kind of patchy, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely remember bits of Sunday school and bits, bits, you know, my dad, when I was seven sort of sat me down on this bed and he's, and he was, telling me the gospel and he said i remember he said you want to accept jesus into your heart and i I can remember thinking yes i don't know if i had made the calculation necessarily i think i was like hey he believes it and if he wants me to do it then it's got to be a good thing he's he's, his interest is 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 in in my you know he's, he's out for my interest um but i don't think it was until i was older that i began to really wrestle and grasp really grasp the gospel um maybe teenage years, but uh, all of it is formative, right? It's all oh, yeah. building a frame framework and foundation. Were you, were you old enough Ben to remember your dad preaching in Brooklyn or was that when you were super young? Yeah, no, I was, um, you know, we moved a lot as kids. And so I think some of that has probably just erased my memories from childhood, but, uh, <laughs> I have a hard time remembering any of that, but I, I was five, I think when we left Brooklyn. So I, I've seen enough pictures to where it seems like I remember something about it, but I can't tell the difference in looking at the pictures and remembering it. So what yeah, were most those, of my memories start What were those on. earliest kind of Christian thoughts, though, in your in your mind? Yeah, it's the same with you. I mean, it, it's really far from sort of a doctrinal. We didn't do catechism or things like that in our house growing up. So my memories on those side of things are just uh, are more being loved and being secure and watching football and, you know, um, playing games and, and just – kind of basic childhood type of things. And obviously the context of the church was always there in Sunday school. We, we, we were, we were deeply involved. Um, and so the, the rituals, the formative rituals, I think liturgies of that, certainly I couldn't have said anything that I understood that, but that was, that was, that was shaping and deeply, you know, values and um, stories and imaginations of missionaries and things like that, I think were a big deal. Um, but to this day that I can't even calculate how much that probably was putting the, uh, um, you know, the landscape together for me, uh, who the world is, who God is, yeah. how do I operate within it? All, all those things were probably, were probably there. So 
very thankful for that, even though I don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I, we actually were just reading, you know, the Second Timothy passage three. The word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness. But you know, the context of that is Paul saying to Timothy, "Don't waver from what your mom." and grandmother taught you as a child, like don't waver from those earliest truths that you learned. Um, but again, I think about that. It's just, you know, it's a challenge and I want to be consistent in those things. But for example, like we, we do do a little catechism at our house. John Kellis can tell you that, you know, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But I don't even know if John Kellis like knows that you're supposed to have a chief end or like has asked the question, like, does my life have a purpose? I mean, you know, we're so far upstream of those things. Yeah. And so, um, and so, yeah, I want to be consistent of those things, but that's, I think those are the thoughts that I'm having is like, how do I connect the dots to get him to want to know this, not just to please me, but, um, because it's actually valuable and party, probably some of it's prey. I mean, probably, probably some of us do what Paul was doing with the Ephesians and Ephesians three is just, I, I'm on my knees yeah. praying that you would have the strength to comprehend these things. So, um, yeah. so anyway, well, Hey, we all share the plight of parenthood and, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the great job. I know you guys are doing with your children and, and be praying for me as I try to raise a six year old boy and another four year old boy right behind him. And of course, a an eight year old gal. And I'm just so grateful for, all of y'all's children also. And I know the great job that you and your amazing wives are doing. Um, well, guys, it's been a good week. This has been a helpful conversation. Any closing thoughts? No, I mean, uh, good to be on here. Certainly resonate with the idea of, of uh, thinking through parenting. And for me, that's just a exercise in feeling like a failure a lot of times <laughs> and not, not knowing, uh, I feel so much more confidence in other areas of my life kind of doing the parenting side of things. Um, and then I was just encouraged by Josh, what's happening with your ministry there, man. That's really exciting to hear that people are responding and uh, not surprising to me that God is moving in people's hearts that way, but great stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share this. Uh, we were on a call this morning and one of the pastors that works with us in Lebanon, they did a whole coronavirus uh, package distribution where they had like hand sanitizer and food. And they decided to go and reach out to the Druze community, which the Druze are really these mystical people uh, they have a little bit of Islam and a little bit of Christianity kind of all mixed in. And um, they went to the Druze people. And then on Sunday, he had a, because they're still having normal church services with people. All the Druze showed up and they said, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we've come out of respect for you helping us. We've come out of respect to your church. We want to hear what, what, what your message is. And so this whole thing has really created so That's much awesome. opportunity. I mean, not just, I mean, we're seeing that globally, right? I think people are going to now start really questioning um, these things and, and hopefully, you know, they're led to gospel centered churches that are preaching the truth. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. The Druze are an interesting, but I get anybody that's been to Israel, uh, you've seen little Druze communities around. So if mm -hmm. you're kind of wondering who's Josh talking about, there's a, in fact, I always remember the road up from like when you go to Qumran, like back up to Jerusalem, there's a bunch of Druze that live on either side of that highway. So if you've ever done that, um, uh, you know, that's that's those that's those folks. So, well, guys, it's been great uh, for for Ben Dockery in Chicago, Illinois and Josh Youssef right here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Jason Dees. Have a great week.